right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Xander Schloss. You might know him from his work with the Circle Jerks, Joe Strummer, Mike Watt, um, Felonious Monster, the solo work of Bob Forrest, um, Magnificent Bastards, the Low and Sweet Orchestra, the Weirdos, or his work with Sean Wheeler. This interview left me next level inspired. Xander is one of the coolest guys, and this conversation is so insightful and so inspiring, and I can't thank him enough for the opportunity to have had it. It gets pretty guitar-heavy, pretty singer-songwriter philosophy-heavy. Xander had this repeating philosophical mindset called urgent necessity, and it's really it's a really profound concept in the context of the story that is unveiled in our interview. Um, and I'll let Xander explain that when we get to it. Xander has a new record coming out called Song About Songs. Um, singles have been released periodically. The two that are out now are Song About Songs and My Dear Blue. Both songs have a corresponding video that are out. On November 17th, the next single comes out called I Love the Story of My Life. And it's going to have an epic video as well as a single release and a live performance that accompanies it. In February, the album's going to drop which I can't wait for because just with these three singles that are out, each one's profoundly moving. So a whole record is going to be fantastic. Um, we're going to listen to the song, Song About Songs.
Song about songs, beautiful use to bazooki, and there's so much space and everything about that performance and arrangement is so well done. You can catch Xander with the Circle Jerks. Some tour dates are announced, and I'm sure some solo dates will be coming soon. If you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on all the podcast platforms, helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing those insights with you. So without further ado, here's my interview with Xander. Well. To start it off, how did how the bazooki gig go? How did the what? The bazooki gig. Which one? Uh, I think you, I forget who it was with. I saw on a, it was with a, a female singer. Um, oh, yeah. I just played the Day of the Dead with a, a, um, a woman named Flora Margo. Yeah. Who's, uh, yeah, she's a big star. Well, I think internationally, but, uh, uh, she's she's um, based in in Mexico, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was really fabulous. It, it uh, she is an, an incredible entertainer. I, I've never seen anybody that was so charismatic on stage, um, and um, she she came over the night before, and we we brushed through the tunes. I guess he was expecting that everybody would be just as much of a genius as, as she is. So I was really, uh, you know, kind of like thrown into the fire pretty quickly. 
was it hard to catch up or was it easy to kind of find the base? No. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't hard to catch up. It, I just had to learn the songs and memorize the songs in, in you know, in a quick, uh, you know, turnaround. And uh, I was surprised that when she was on stage, she, she's a, like a concert pianist. She's classically trained. And she just kind of like left the piano uh, to engage the audience um, and just trusted that I would remember how to play the songs and know the arrangements and the chords and, you know, everything like that. It was, it was actually quite, quite sweet that she, you know, um, trusted me in that way. Right. Right. And I was able to do it, you know, definitely. Well, that's, that's a lot to take in. And especially if it's like something you've never, you've never done before, but being familiar with the style of music and like the the feel of it, and I guess like, you know, um, even like with the the circle jerks, like I saw you guys posted your set list, and it's like, I don't even know how many songs are on that list, but it's been like fifteen years or something since you guys have toured. So, do you have a knack for like or a trick to kind of quickly re- uh, remember songs? Are you going by forms? Or are you going by progression? Well, I mean. There's 32 songs in the course of an hour, right? Uh, with the Circle Jerks, all probably around somewhere around 200 BPM uh, for the you know um, listeners that don't know what BPM beats per minute, um, and uh, they're very very quick, um, and so there's an urgent necessity to it that that kind of forces you into. It's not so much remembering the uh the notes as much as as it is um you know because most of the the songs are in a downstroke fashion um you know which is very necessary to get that kind of attack um and it's just a matter of 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 muscle memory and dexterity it's almost for me uh robotic you know, in a, in a strange way. Um, and I, I guess it requires, uh, good finger positioning and, 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 you know, dexterity and technique and knowledge of the fretboard, you know, uh, to travel up and down the neck that, that quickly. Plus, you know, the fact of the matter is the bases, uh, you know, the frets are longer, it's a longer neck and certain, uh, cross fingering positions have to take place in order for you to play these things very quickly. So it's kind of, so it's interesting with the bit with a circle jerks. It's kind of like a, it's kind of a muscle memory thing. Um, does it, cause like, does that pan out for something like doing a bazooki gig like you did? Uh, like, with like having to learn stuff that quickly, is that a different process? Would you say then, or is well, it there's this the thing that I call uh, urgent necessity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would do it. <laughs> and uh, you know it, it, that can work for anything. It's like okay, this is happening. There's no take backs. We are actually doing this now. <laughs> you know what I mean in, in real time, and it's and it's gonna it's going to happen whether you're prepared or not. Um, so you, you had best be prepared. <laughs> so the kind of get caught up, when did music start to become your mode of expression? 
was it did it start with guitar um yes it started with guitar previously to to guitar i, I come from a, a on my father's side uh uh three generations of oil painters and fine artists and so i was um pretty much um just doing visual art um um most of most of my life before um well most of my life i, I started playing guitar when i was 12 but uh i had planned to be a visual artist and doing a lot of sketching and charcoal and pastels and you know pencil drawings and uh you know started painting and sculpture as well but uh, i quickly transitioned when i you know and I, I don't know how to how to put this mildly i quickly transitioned when i when i uh, went through puberty because i thought that um you know how am i ever going to get um to date any girls when i'm sitting in here in this little studio with, you know at yeah. my easel all alone um and so yeah i i i I, uh, I thought that that would be a better medium for me to to get the attention that i i so so needed <laughs> <laughs> well it seems to be that's i was um wayne kramer's got a kind of a similar story too like uh, his mom was dating a guy that played guitar and he's like how's he doing you know like <laughs> there's a there's definitely an allure to that um so did anyone else in your family play music or were you just kind of diving into this all on your own? Like everyone else was more visually based. Yeah, no, I was the first one. And it, oddly enough, it was like, um, you know, my neighbors had a, a piano, um, a grand piano next door. And we'd go over there and they'd, they'd have like dinner parties or cocktail parties. And then all the adults would gather around the piano, like while I was playing, a, um, you know, uh, drinking their cocktails or whatever and go, whoa, that's strange. Little Zandy can play uh, whatever songs that he hears on the radio. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's great. So what are you going to do about it? They they never actually um, offered to, to get me lessons or supported me in that, you know? Yeah. It was just sort of an oddity, you know, that my, my ear was so keen uh, you know and i um i uh, actually worked uh to to buy my first guitar um and i got uh, bob dylan's um book of drawings and and poetry um and lyrics and stuff and uh bought the album nashville skyline rag um and as i was still a visual artist i i don't know if you're familiar with the uh the um cover of that album yeah national skyline so it's bob dylan posing with a with a top hat on and he's got his harmonica holder harmonica and his guitar and he's kind of looking down into the camera um so i also had a harmonica holder and her, a bunch of harmonicas and i bought myself a tie top hat and did a visual drawing of of myself um as Bob Dylan in Nashville Skyline Rag replaced his face with mine. And uh, then I, I, when I, once I had enough money to buy my first guitar, I, I learned Nashville 
uh, skyline um, from front to back by ear. Uh, the thing about that was it was so appealing to me because I could really hear what was going on, you know, with, with Bob Dylan and, and people like Neil Young and Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and stuff there. It was so direct, you know, because it was basically, you know, chords, melody and lyrics, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd imagine. So it's interesting because like with piano, it's not like you don't really have to worry about how to make the note. You know what I mean? At first you're like, Oh, I pushed down. It's clear. Boom. Yeah. Now, but in so figuring it out by ear, it's okay. And let's align the pitch. But when you start to get more complicated with like chords and stuff and progressions, that gets a lot. That, that's a lot to like uh, dictate in, in real time. And like then to attempt to do it on guitar, it's like a whole nother, uh, it's a whole nother feat because you got to figure out, okay, I'm hearing that chord. That, how's that work? You know what I mean? Like, but I can see how like an artist like Bob Dylan or Neil Young would be a lot easier to kind of did or not maybe easier but more appealing because it's right there. You're not yeah. you're not really it's not hidden underneath anything. And that's a that's no. It's a great way to start out, you know. And yeah. uh yeah, I um I, I I won't say that, you know, I mean I was a natural. I had you know a really great ear, but um you know, when you start playing guitar, and I don't do this anymore. I would literally have the guitar in my hands 24 hours a day, you know, if I could, and I'd be falling asleep with the guitar in my hand and like concentrating so hard that I would literally drool on the guitar, you know? Yeah. That, um, it's, I, I personally, that's very exciting to hear because I did spend a lot of years attempting to do the same thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? You yeah. hear stories like Ravi Shankar would tie his hair up to his sitar when he would nod off to sleep, his hair would be pulled so he would wake back up and keep rehearsing. And like, there's this like this this impulse to spend so much time with this instrument, and like, whatever it is for you, and like, to be I don't know. So like to hear that people actually do it is not just of legend, is refreshing. <laughs> well, and you know. Um there were like i had the guitar in my hand so much that I, I learned this technique where 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 i would watch television you know and because my ear was so so developed i would play the tv themes and cartoon themes <laughs> in real time as as they were going on on the television and challenge myself to to you know learn learn these songs very quickly and the thing about it is, is that when you kind of mindlessly go into these things and you're watching TV or you're practicing while you're watching TV, you're taking your mind off of your technique and you're taking your mind off of actually what you're, you're doing and the, the guitar itself. There was something about that kind of almost like hypnotic stepping away from, from the actual physical process of it, you know? Right. Well, that makes sense because like when you're, Ultimately, like with any instrument, it's trying to convey what you have to say and technique and like note choice and all that uh, musical um, thought and theory are all just modes to help further express or convey what you have to say. And I, I yeah, you know, Victor Wooten's got a, a, a pretty good bit about people getting caught up in that and spending so much time on like things like notes and technique. And like it, that sounds like a very like a 
uh, um, easy way to kind of avoid that and like dive into that into that just expressiveness. Yeah, I mean, like uh, you know, I was into getting into. I, I I I wanted to get into the meat of everything that I heard, like. And oddly enough, it's like you know when you listen when I listened to the Beatles, I was like, "Whoa, there's something happening every kind of half second." There's either a guitar riff or a a drum uh, fill or a um, you know a, a bass line or a harmony or and what's this going on? What's this other stuff that's going on? Like uh, the orchestration. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, there's somebody else that's involved in in this music that's bringing in, you know, and then it's pretty sophisticated for a little kid. But I was like, oh, production matters, arrangement matters, orchestration matters, the way you assemble a song, um, these riffs matter. Um, and so I really sort of kind of like listened intently to, to, to different aspects and tried to figure out what was the meat of of each thing that I was hearing what was you know what was the tender line of it you know that's that's a really profound especially at that age you know to be able to like dissect music like that like that's cool yeah. <laughs> kind of weird right <laughs> right but you know not really because like it's all right there you just, it's kind of you just got to know what you're listening for um you know like but it is like because I think of all the kids I work with, and if they came at me with some knowledge like that, I'd be like, "All right, this would be cool. <laughs> we can have some serious yeah. combo." But like, um, so like leading into like high school and stuff, kind of coming in with like these big ears, like to take all this in. Did you dive into like music through school, or is this more just a private kind of like practice? Well, I mean, coming from from Missouri, I was like into, you know, like I said, you know, starting out, I, I, I sort of gravitated towards music that had more of a direct sort of like um, effect, you know, which yeah. is, you know, chords, melody and, and lyrics. So I gravitated towards those musicians. And I also gravitated towards acoustic and, and sort of more traditional bluegrass stuff. I listened to a lot of Doc Watson because hmm. um, I really wanted to become like a like a bluegrass flat picker as well um but once I, uh, I moved to san diego when i was 13 years old with my mom and her boyfriend and kind of left st louis and my older brother and two older sisters and my dad i thought that that would be a great opportunity for me to achieve my goal which is to become a rock star <laughs> um and so rather than you know um stay behind with you know my friends and everything i i took the chance i was like no i have to leave everything i know everything every everything behind and coming out to san diego i started to get into the the great guitar heroes you know like um all the jimmies the jimmy pages and the jimmy hendrixes and the eric claptons and the jeff backs the guys who could really really solidly interpret um you know the blues and rock and roll and of course coming from st louis going back just a, a minute you know chuck berry you know like the the, the basically the inventor of, of rock and roll guitar the 
the first uh, first time I ever performed on stage was at summer camp. I think I I played Johnny Be Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By Chuck Berry. Oddly yeah. enough, later on in my life, we we would have Chuck Berry join the Circle Jerks on stage and play Roll Over Beethoven. That's um, sick. At a club, but um, at any rate, yeah, no, I I got in. So the leads and stuff like that, you know, the lead guitar uh, was more of a, you know, kind of a jump and, and more challenging, you know, because there was you know, just, just more complex. Right. Um, and then, you know, sort of in my, my, my senior year of high school, uh, I gravitated into a, even a more heady type of music, which was, was jazz and, uh, started listening, like, you know, a lot of my friends made fun of me. I started listening to like John Coltrane and Charlie Parker and, you know, Getz and Gilberto and, you know, stuff like that. So, like I said, pretty sophisticated choices for, for a kid. But, like, you know, we, we don't know, you know, these days kids are pretty sophisticated. But Right. Um, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy, like, a kid will come up and surprise you like that. But, like, that, that makes sense, kind of the progression of, like, if you're kind of understanding where all these sounds are coming from, like, it makes sense, like the the kind of like the Hendrix approach, and like the more the more excitement with what guitar can do, and then the next evolution is what more music can do, and Coltrane and Parker. That once you plant that seed, you study those for life. You know, you never really. Um, I don't. I don't know if those ever stop being uh, intriguing in some way. But, um, well, you know, it, it's it's weird because I would like also kind of break apart these guitar players and and like you know before I was I actually you know started to to train you know um, and and go to school and stuff like that I I kind of like was breaking apart these guitar players stylistically I was like okay so Jimi Hendrix he knows like what chord variation lies underneath the pentatonic scale and he's able to articulate these these notes in major and minor pentatonics underneath whatever chord variation up and down the neck he has vast knowledge of of all you know five positions up and down the neck um and then there's jimmy page it's like okay this guy he's he's actually a modal player you know what i mean and uh you know he's bringing in more uh the the seven notes of like the diatonic scale and you know in a modal way um along with mixing in uh some of that the the blues influence with the major minor pentatonic scales um and as well as like you know uh you know Eric Clapton and Cream and stuff he's just mixing i was like okay so he's mixing the two the major and minor pentatonic scales. Um, but analyzing these guitar players. And then when, once I started getting into jazz, I was like, holy shit. I mean, it's like, there's, you know, these extensions of chords and like these other kind of like notes. I knew about blue notes from playing like bluegrass, like, you know, in Missouri and in the blues, there were notes that were sort of in the cracks and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, you get into, you know, playing giant steps by 
by uh, you know John Coltrane and some of these Charlie Parker solos and stuff like that, you're like, oh shit, you know, the circle of fifths and you know, I mean, it's heady stuff. Yeah. I, and honestly, like once I got into Los Angeles and kind of got into, you know, I had already gone, uh, lived with my jazz teacher for a year and studied intensely, you know, all my inversions and my triads and double stops and scales and modes and extending chords and, you know, uh, all this stuff. You know, and then I went to music school in Los Angeles. So by the time I got into to the Circle Jerks, I was like a full on, like almost like professor type of musician, um, which made it very easy for me to play that kind of music. But the challenging thing about it, like I said earlier on, was the, the dexterity and the speed that it, that it took to to play this and the technique that it took to play this stuff accurately and tightly. So that's what I found was was the meat or the tenderloin of the Circle Jerks music was like intense intense energy, uh, speed, and dexterity. Uh, and I, I thought, well, this is, this is cool. This is challenging. You know, I could see the merit in this. But... Uh, yeah, everybody made fun of me because I of my my knowledge of of music. It's 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 interesting. Like, well, one who who was your jazz teacher before you went to school for it? Uh, he was a guy named Peter Sprague. He's a San Diego based musician. Okay. Um, was he a guitar player or was he just a jazz musician? Guitar player. Yeah. yeah. Um and. Honestly, it's like uh, in living with him, I, I I totally parroted everything that the guy did, mimicked his his lifestyle. He had a disciplined uh, lifestyle where he would wake up and he would do uh, an uh, I don't know, like an hour of hatha yoga. I learned how to do yoga from him. He had a vegetarian lifestyle, uh, you know, I mean diet, and uh, he was also into meditation and so i i basically and then he'd take a run on the beach for like five miles and i basically mimicked the, the guy's whole routine um and he would practice his scales and arpeggios for a couple hours he lived in the basement of the house and i could hear it coming up through the floorboards um and then in the afternoons i would spend my afternoons transcribing these, you know, Charlie Parker and, and John Coltrane solos. And, you know, I had a, a tape recorder that would take them down to half speed um, so that I could hear what was really going on. Um, and I would learn them by ear, but then I would transcribe them and, and, and you know, learned how to write music and read. I never quite got sight uh to the level of being a sight reader it's hard but, uh, it's hard man like just to do just to transcribe it like that to dictate it and transcribe it and like you know it's one thing to hear and play it which is a whole separate you know that's that's the the bit being able to play it and play it back and understand how that works but to write it down and be able to convey it like it's it's a whole nother thing it's almost a little it's almost the opposite of what it is like when you when you look at a sheet of music that's exactly how someone feels written out exactly how it should be 
fell. You know what I mean? Like, there's no real slip up when someone writes it down like that. And uh, with the real book and with whatever, of course, there's like accidents and maybe that's not what the composer meant. But like, ideally, like it's supposed to be exactly this is how I feel and this is how if you want to understand how I feel, play that. And like, yeah. it's almost robotic though. And like, um, and it's it's hard. It's hard to like. And I don't know if it's a guitar player thing, you know, like because I think pianists you kind of learn to read and play, like read and convey at the same time. Where guitar yeah. is a very like feel based thing. Well, I would get scolded because uh, you know, like even in jazz band in high school, I I got called into my music teacher's office, um, and he he kind of scolded me because he recognized that I was doing cooler voicings than the ones that were written, you know, and I yeah. was, I was taking my cues from, from the horn stabs and, and all this stuff to like get a better like voicing and, and a voicing that would, would um, embellish and accentuate what was going on a little bit better. Um, and he basically said, you're never going to make a dime in music. And um, honestly, you know, with, with my jazz teacher, when I lived it with my jazz teacher too, um, you know, I think I, I learned that, you know, hook by hook or by crook, it's like you got to like kind of get things done. And if you use some rock and roll tricks or if you use whatever tricks you have in your bag to, to do it, then, you know, that's... Um, that's that's gonna have to be okay right well yeah you know because it's it's entertaining it's fun you want to see it. there's got to be some flash to it and like uh i don't know it's definitely a fake it till you make it sitch especially I, I don't know why it is guitar players are so feel based and like maybe it's the the kind of the the forerunners in guitar playing you know like hendrix and you pay like the the big rock guys you said you started like digging into they're not reading like they're definitely feeling yeah yeah and it's like uh you know like these traditionalists these people that are say they're, they're there are these rules that you must follow and you must play it exactly this way there's a lot of that in in uh you know traditional like bluegrass and right. you know latin music and jazz and you know it, it's like well but that's it to me it's it's like it, it's boring and it's not innovative and you know to stay within that sort of like box you know it's it's not really um trying to to um expand the potential of what you can do and that's why i kind of like broke out of jazz i thought to myself well this is super traditional stuff and it, it kind of all you know don't take this the wrong way listeners but it kind of all sounded the same to me and it sounded a little stodgy and traditional and conventional to me and um you know i literally was like it was kind of the same thing with with the painting i was literally like well how am i going to get out there on stage and, and like get like you know uh the the validation and all the attention that that i I so crave, you know, from, uh, you know, uh, putting on entertaining because I was also in tandem to all that stuff. I was also always a class clown, 
and an entertainer and like a, you know i i would do impressions of people and like you know was wildly just like goofy and silly and you know subsequently i also you know kind of acted in some movies and stuff like that and i think it all translates into to whatever medium that you you put it in like if if you look at yourself and you you say well what is it that i'm doing what is it that i'm i'm good at you know what are these overarching characteristics that that i have you know you can pretty much figure out what you're going to be and what you're going to do you know yeah did you did did it kind of speak to you like knowing that you dive into all this or was this kind of just like an experiment and those those traits were every time you tried something new were coming more clear does that make sense like well uh, like literally when i talked about urgent necessity i would just if i if there was an opportunity somebody presented an opportunity to me i would say yes like will you please do my movie score i would say yes and then i would learn how to orchestrate you know uh and and uh, compose a film score you know what i mean if somebody said will you act in my movie i would say yes and then i would prepare myself to the best of my ability without having any training but knowing that i'm a natural sort of ham you know and i don't really give a give you know yeah. who, what what people like you know think of me you know um so if there's 50 people standing around with lights and cameras and you know all this stuff i'm going to do what i'm going to do anyway you know um but yeah just if you get an opportunity if somebody presents an opportunity you say yes and then you figure out how to do it and come in as prepared as you possibly can be you know overly prepared and i guess all the things that I had, had done were, were great preparation for all the things that were presented to me. Right. Well, it's, it, are you hip to Bruce Lee at all? It's huh? like, are you hip to Bruce Lee at all? Of course. Uh, cool. So like I, 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 when I started studying music, my first guitar teacher was like, you got to read this book, the Tao of Jeet Do, And like that kind of messed up my brain. And like Bruce has got this whole concept of like shed, uh, taking in what you need and shedding what you don't. And the idea that the classically trained man is a uh, bound to tradition and right. everything you just said kind of like resonates with that because like, I think it's, you want to learn all those, those forms and shapes and chords, but like, if you stick to that, that's as far as you're going to get. Like so much of jazz is two five one. Oh, well now we're tritone substitution two five one. So much of bluegrass or, or blues music is, or I guess the blues it's all, but one four five. And like it's it's interesting. Like uh, all these different styles of musics, uh, musics of music have standards that everyone like kind of like abides to. And like um, in I found that because I I've always I don't know been a fan of everything and like when I started to like really study jazz, that's when punk really hit me hard. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is it. Like I'd, my, I'd be working with a, um, my guitar teacher talking about Coltrane and like, I'd be like, but the Ramones, like that, it hit me way later than it should have. Like, but, uh, I noticed that a lot of jazz guys didn't reciprocate like that enthusiasm for like punk music as maybe punk guys do. Like I, right. Like I know you you've done some work with Mike Watt 
which uh, put it mm-hmm. in because I got some questions about. But he loves Coltrane. Like I don't, sure. <laughs> I don't know if I know anyone who loves Coltrane more than Watt. But like, um, I don't know if it reciprocates. Like it reciprocates on the other end for jazzers. Did you kind of notice that as you're kind of transitioning into like um, breaking some forms? Well, no, I think there's there's a lot of, like I was saying before, there's a lot of snobbery that goes into to some of these more traditional yeah. types of music, you know what I mean? And and uh, I see the beauty and, like, get to the heart of whatever type of music there is, you know? Um, uh, and I want to be diverse, you know? I, I When I moved to Los Angeles, I, I joined a funk band down in, in South Central Los Angeles, and played, uh, you know, uh, funk music coming from a jazz background. I was like, well, there's something to be learned from this, you know, mute the, the jazz stuff is for the head, you know, but this stuff is, is for the soul and it, and it teaches you about rhythm and counterpoint. Right. Um, and you know, uh, the smoothness of the groove and stuff like that. And then, I got into to playing Latin music and subsequently uh, bought a bunch of these traditional Latin music uh, instruments that were in their traditional tunings and never changed the tuning. And what, you know, uh, and, and learned, you know, about rhythm and, uh, you know, um, non-Western music, um, you know, which subsequently took me, like I said, playing with Flor Armargo the other night. I've I've, I've played with several uh, Latin artists and done music for for films that were made in in uh, you know Mexico and stuff like that. And that's also what what keyed Joe Strummer into me initially when I when I was uh, you know first asked by Joe to to you know, play the the Latin instruments, all the stringed instruments on the Walker soundtrack, you know, because we had traveled to Spain together and we were on location and I was gobbling up all the flamenco and buying, you know, flamenco guitars and Spanish lauds and stuff like that. And, um, you know, went then we went to Central America and, uh, you know, I continued my search you know, because I was just floored by Latin music. Something about it just, and, and I carry that with me in, in pretty much everything I do. Um, but uh, just the passion of it and, you know, uh, so all those things just add up to, you know, I, I don't know what it adds up to, um, being diverse. It's it's enthusiasm. It's a, a, the excitement for something new and, like, when did... Okay, to kind of dive into that, um, like, when, uh, so as you're, like, studying jazz, like, what was the kind of first instrument out of the guitar realm that was, like, kind of string-based that made that, like, uh, it, it, like, start the addiction to figure out other instruments happen? Was it the, was it the Spanish instruments? Was it the Latin music, like, or was there one in particular? Well, you know, Every step of the way, it's like you become like a baby again that doesn't yeah. know anything. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. But what what I will say is is the main factor in becoming, uh, you know, um, a diverse and you know knowledgeable musician is curiosity for everything. So I was never closed minded, and that's why I, I shrugged away from conventionalism or rules or 
stuff like that. And it's like, I also always knew that it's like, well, you could learn a song and then you'll know that song. Or you could learn music and you'll know everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because like well, the, the, when when you take like a flamenco music, you're like, oh, this is they go to 12. That's weird. Why is everything in 12? Why is everything doing five? You know, what I mean, yeah. like that's fascinating. But you wouldn't think of it if you only learned Stairway to Heaven. No, like, that's that's so cool. So like, how'd you meet? So you met Joe traveling? No, Joe, uh, I was doing some uh, session work on the film uh, Sid and Nancy. I play all the the okay. guitar and, and the, the actual score of the movie. Um, and Joe uh, was was contributing music um, to that film as well. Some of his first solo outings, he had just kind of broke up with The Clash and Alex asked him to do so. Alex Cox, the director, asked him to contribute some songs. So I met him, you know, coming and going from the same studio that I was working at. And then we, uh, we acted in a film together called straight to hell, uh, that was filmed in, in Spain. Um, that's when we first started kind of becoming friends. We both contributed music separately to that film. Um, and then, uh, we, we went, we're on location in Nicaragua for three months and lived together in a house in, in Granada. Um, and, uh, I think Joe just saw my curiosity and, and my my enthusiasm. I always had a guitar in my hand. I was always searching for influences, always kind of um, you know pushing the envelope of of what I already knew and trying to expand my knowledge. And I, I got the call from Joe that he wanted me to you know that he had gotten the um, the job to compose the music for. For Walker and asked me if I could come up to um, San Francisco to record at Russian Hill with him. And he said, specifically, bring your Spanish guitar. I was like, bring my Spanish guitar. I was like, I'm going to bring my Spanish guitar. I'm going to bring my guitar. I'm going to bring my Vuela. I'm going to bring my Churanga. I'm going to bring my Bajo Sexto. Uh, you know, I'm going to bring a lot more than my, my Spanish guitar. Oh, that's amazing. And it comes through on that soundtrack too. Um, is there a is there a bazooki on Smash Everything? No, there's no bazooki on it. Um, you know, um, I didn't I, I didn't start playing the bazooki uh, at that point. Okay. Um, that's something that I've been playing for, I'd say, mm, close to twenty years now. Um. But the bazooki I got as as kind of a joke. I was making prank calls to music stores to ask if they had bazookis, and I was like, "Are they big? You know, can I <laughs> can I touch them?" <laughs> and I eventually uh, called this music store uh, down in um, uh, Culver City called Marina Music, and the Greek guy answered the the phone. He said, "Oh yes, sir. Some of them are big. Some of them are medium size." and Say, can I touch them? He said, "Yes, come into the store. You can touch all the bazookis." <laughs> and I went down there and I I played it, and he showed me a traditional Greek scale on it, and I was off and running. 
But one day somebody said to me, said, well, what would it sound like if you actually kind of played hillbilly music on this thing? I was like, oh, yeah. And I thought about it, hillbilly music. It's like, what is the origin of hillbilly music? Wasn't it, it it was all these immigrants coming in from their different, you know, you know, homelands mm-hmm. with their instruments and getting together, um, you know, and forming this this new type of music. Um, and so I thought, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure like if somebody came from Greece and, and went to Appalachia, you know, uh, that, that the bazooki would be as relevant to to blue to hillbilly music as you know the mandolin and the violin and the banjo right yeah and it's actually called the greek banjo by some people and so it's like well yes and you can make it sound like a mandolin if you you know travel up the neck high enough uh and there's droning strings you can actually make it sound like a banjo Hmm. And I started kind of exploring that again, expanding on on the tradition of the instrument. Right. Well, playing music, you're you're using uh, wider concepts of music because like banjo is all drone, and but you find drone on oud and other instruments, and like the the timbre of like a, I'm trying to think of like a tremolo or like a per, very percussive like mandolin bit. And I've never thought of the bazooki as like that, but I can now that you describe it, you can. You could really, it could really do both, but that's that's playing music and that's cool. Yeah, that's so so. The, hanging that to kind, of, kind of jump back with Joe. So you're hanging out with Joe and you guys do the Walker. Like, when did some of the other like the earthquake weather and stuff like that? Did that kind of just roll out naturally from that, or like? Well, yeah, I mean, due to 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 you know the my curiosity and the diversity of instruments that I was playing, I played pretty much everything on uh, all stringed instruments on that soundtrack. And, you know, he even threw me in with the, the, uh, the orchestra. Cause there was a guy named Dick Bright that was arranging for strings and there was Michael Spiro playing, you know, uh, all the percussion and like, you know, these pianists and these really, really excellent musicians. He threw me into the mix on the first side, which was mainly more kind of Latin jazz and saw that I was able to, to hold my own in, in that arena as well. But I think he just, you know, was like impressed by my curiosity and my diversity and my love of, of, of all music because Joe was not like one of these punk rock cop type people who was like, oh, it, it must be punk rock. It must be hardcore, you know, and that's, that's not punk and blah, blah, blah. Who gives a who gives a darn? You know what I mean. Yeah. You know his he had a similar quality, which was this curiosity for all types of music, and it expanded into uh, different cultures and individuals. Um, he, he just was a super curious guy about everything, and uh, you know that was impressive to me. And I think he was impressed by me having a similar quality. You know, that makes sense because uh, listening to like uh, his radio programs and like diving into some of his background, that that's there too. And I think the essence of like what punk is is kind of how you described what uh, what 
hillbilly music is or like what traditional folk is. It's all these people coming together and just doing their own thing based on how they know and meshing it with whoever's around. And like, yeah, and it, it, it does get super, super formulaic. Everyone finds their two five ones in life and decides that they know where that resolves. That's great. But like, um, ex- like, and to kind of jump into like, or jump back to how you talked about the Beatles finding all these intricate, uh, things every couple seconds to put in their arrangements, like uh, the music for like earthquake weather and the mescaleros and all that strummer stuff later had that in there, but in this like yeah. worldly like um, you, you this obsession for different sounds and stuff is put into that music, and like well, look the doorway into it for me. Was his uh, his albums uh, the Clash's album Sandinista? Right. You know, because uh, speaking of the Beatles and comparison the Clash to the Beatles, I saw Sandinista as being the Clash's white album. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I really heard many many different styles, and it cued me into the fact that those guys were interested in everything. And that's where I really gained respect for The Clash. And I went back through their catalog. So I went backwards through The Clash's catalog. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes, that's, because that's, it's like, you seem to be the the personality of seeking the bigger and like the vastness of it. And just like, that, that would make sense that it would appeal to you to go backwards like that. And like, I think a lot of people need that comfort of like, oh, I know what this is. This is a punk thing. It sounds like this. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people need that that comfort somewhere and they put it in their music or in their literature or whatever it is or in their diet. Um, but you have this amazing kind of uh, going into music, like this vast, vast study of everything. And like, like I, I don't. I myself diving into music, I found that as well. I was like, because yeah. you start to be like, you know, Hendrix is cool and everything he's doing here, but you know, uh, Bill Monroe is doing the same thing, but on mandolin. Like, I, I don't know what yeah. that enthusiasm is, but it's so cool. And when you can recognize it with somebody like Joe and kind of feed into their vision. Um, so I guess all that being said, like, what what would be like a a lesson like a, a grand a grander lesson that was taken from Joe um in that that point of your life onward well i mean you know he was a, an incredible lyricist for one thing you know and a poet you know um uh in in becoming like a a songwriter a solo songwriter um uh, I kind of like learned the, you know, it's like I really have always been like an instrumentalist and a collaborator, somebody who wrote music and melody. But I found that um, the lyrics were, were, you know, important. And every stanza, every line had to had to have weight to it. You know what I mean? And so I started to look at kind of like the way that that Joe would write lyrics and. I envisioned myself kind of like diving into this this cave and and like coming up with these 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 gems. So you know, I, I would ask myself lyrically, "Well, is it true? Yes, okay, it's true. Uh, is it necessary? Yes, it's necessary. If it's not true, it's not necessary. You know what I mean? And right. 
then also like thinking about poetry you know the thing about uh that i learned from joe too about lyrics is that the ways the way words sing are very important you know um the way they they feel coming out of your mouth they don't get stuck in your mouth you know what i mean which is yeah. poetry poetry is more about the sound of the words and how the words you know roll and flow um and so to write lyrics that were true and necessary and poetic you know based on the sound of how 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 they and the rhythm of how they they flowed out of your mouth became equally important to me and i learned how to be a lyricist so now it's like i can be completely autonomous you know in, in what i do and and also you know uh i i uh went from flat picking into to being a right hand guy you know like a finger picker and again going back to like i'd flat picked all my life and about 16 years ago and this is pretty late in the game i i challenged myself to never use a pick at home and i turned myself into a drooling baby again and learned uh, right hand technique so that I could play the bass, the melody, uh, and the chords simultaneously, and basically the drums. I never really even think of guitar as as a guitar. In, in fact, even in my jazz training, I never really listened to jazz guitarists. I listened to saxophonists and pianists. And when I, when I think of the guitar, I listen to a lot of classical radio, radio now and, and classical I think of it as 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 a, a small orchestra, mm. you know. Yeah, well, it's all right there. Um, that's that's fascinating. Like the just the beginner's mind always have to come, always go back to that. Um, to kind of expand up, like uh, it sounds like. I mean, it doesn't. From what you describe, you have this very like you see a thing and you go discipline into it. With like uh, with something like writing, you know. Everyone's got their own like kind of approach to it, but I feel like it's something like in uh, academic music, you don't really spend too much time practicing creativity. You know, you don't really like they don't really harp on like f practicing the emotional expression and conveyance of of your music as much as the technique and understanding of it. So when it comes to something like songwriting, did you develop like did you have like a a routine for yourself? Like, would you practice like not practice? Would you write something every day? Or, or would you just kind of like, kind of, because leading into like um, your your solo record you're putting out, like, what, did you have a routine for, for being creative like this? Or did you just kind of get, let inspiration hit and then feed off it then? Well, you know, the lack of, pre the, the preciousness is the enemy of, of being a songwriter. You know, like, honestly, it's like, um, you know, you hear about this, spend 10,000 hours doing something. So, you know, I would just write songs and let them be whatever they, they, you know, presented themselves as like, honestly, it's just like, I'm a receiver, you know, for, for whatever transmissions are being transmitted, you know, and, and that being said, you have to, you know, if you're going to be an abstract painter, you know, you, you need to learn form and you need to, to, to learn how to, um, to actually paint, you know, draw, do figure drawing and like, you know, have a, have a background in that stuff. 
Um, and so all of my background and diversity led me to the point where I could think of things in an abstract way and in an obtuse way where literally I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, so all that stuff is like a roadmap that goes in the glove box of the car, but you're, you're now intuitively feeling your way through and thinking about shapes and colors and the vibration between two strings, you know, whatever intervals that you're playing and chords and what emotions those bring. So you can get into a more abstract type of thinking. And literally, I think of like what I do as now as like sound paintings, you know, and I literally take, you know, this very seriously that it's like, okay, so I have the, the, these this vast amount of colors that I can use and this technique and stuff. So I can, I can play a lot and I can, I can add a lot of different colors, but that's not going to make a good sound painting. What I need to do is I need to, to um, decrease my palette. So it's a smaller palette and just use three or four colors on it. Now you can mix those colors, but the limitation the limits that you put on yourself um, are what define you as an as having a, a, a an individual sound. It's not your vast options; it's how you limit yourself in the space that you create. And um, so, you know, developing you know certain techniques that are 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 um, you know just your own you know what i mean right. so my goal is is to become a, a a recognizable uh have a have a voice as an artist that's recognizable from the first notes that you hear you'll you'll know that it's me because of the limitations that i employ when i write you know right that's beautiful it's the it's the the seek of self-knowledge and like it mm -hmm. makes sense, like uh, if you'd compare it to like um, like sculpting, you you chisel away from the the what becomes the the figure. Um, that that's awesome. Kind of like a maybe uh, before jumping more into the to the new record um, with like working with groups like the Circle Jerks um, and Mike Watt and like. What were some kind of like takeaways from maybe that apply to writing your own music uh, in the context that it is now from like someone like Keith Morris or Mike Watt? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it's like, please, you know, fans of punk rock, please don't take this the wrong way. But breaking your arm off playing downstrokes at 200 beats per minute and having it be just basically one dynamic fast and loud you know, um, really, uh, to me started to make me think, well, what, what, you know, what do I want to do? And what I want to do in my spare time is something beautiful and the polar opposite of that, mm. which is to create space, play softly and gently and, uh, try to, you know, create the most beautiful, um, chord voicings and embellishments that, that I can with the deepest emotions that are underlying all that anger and aggression. 
Um, and so that's my answer to punk. That's me being, that's what, it, what I'm saying. Punk has informed me to be punk enough to do the exact opposite to basically, um, uh, uh, challenge people to, to call me a fucking, sorry, to call me a pussy for what I, for what I'm doing, you know, and say, Oh, what's, what's happened to him. He's gone soft, but it's not soft. Like, honestly, I believe that, that, you know, talking about the things that, that people think and they would never dare say or playing, you know, as softly and gently and beautifully as you can. People uh, are walking around being tough with their arms crossed and, and not open to, to these things. And I think it's, it's very, very punk to challenge people to drop their arms and, and become open to, to hearing some of these, these deeper emotions and softer, more um, gentle and sad emotions, you know, because this is really at the heart of everything you know right no it, it's the yin and yang of of the whole experience like mm -hmm. you can't appreciate the soft stuff until you've you've gone you've rocked it out for so long or vice versa and uh, it it is it is really profound that the kind of punk thing is to to go against the norm but once the norm that's been gone against is gone against again it, it the, the, those arms are crossed that was a very good way to put it and um so that that's a beautiful takeaway from from playing all these different styles and d developing your own. Um, well, and now punk has become conventional. You know, punk right. is pervasive in all pop culture and fashion and magazines and you know film and everything. You know, and people's attitudes and stuff like that. So once it becomes popular, it's like for me, uh, I, I'm like, well. I'm no longer interested in it now, you know, that it's popular, you know, well, I'm interested in making a living, you know, and going out there and playing for those crowds and playing this music, but I want to do the opposite of, of what's, what's popular and take the chance to, you know, do something that, um, you know, maybe is, um, you know, challenging. Right. Right. That's, a, I mean, that would be the next that's the next most punk thing to do <laughs> so it is punk yeah rock. i it consider is. it as, as being punk rock what i'm doing now um now one thing i found really interesting i read um when you went to record these songs um the producer you're working with when you when you're running the demos told you to drop everything a minor third and do it in yeah. like speaking uh, like uh which is very like i one the kind of song about songs is such a beautiful arrangement and this where the bazooki sits and how the whole song is built around it and where your voice sits it's like and then when everything kicks in the chorus it's so well done um was that at first like did that kind of like just fit and feel good to kind of sing like that or was it it was it weird at first to be that like that almost vulnerable and lack of a uh, emotive well, here's the thing. The album was was made. All the guys that were on the, that album, they're they're all jazz trained guys. You know what I mean. And so that album was recorded drums, bass, uh, whatever, piano or or keyboards. Um, he'd either be sitting in a Wurlitzer or or an upright piano, bass, drums, 
And I was, um, we, we did it to tape, to two inch tape uh, on a 16 track, two inch machine. And so I was placed into a, a small isolation booth with a giant condenser, you know, mic on my vocal and another mic facing my guitar, right? So we'll, I'll go back to, to, to the statement about limiting your options, you know what I mean? Um, so at any rate, it's like everything that I did had to count, you know, and it's like I had to play finger pick very gently and softly um, and with good technique and, and even technique and sing um, at a volume um, that, you know, uh, wouldn't interfere with that as well. You know, uh, it, it, the, the thing that I learned and what Gus was trying to get me to do was to, to sing without necessarily being dramatic and lots of vibrato um, and uh, sing almost at a, at a whispered uh, volume so that, you know, the blend between the guitar, what happens is, is if here's, here's the technical thing. What happens if you play the guitar very softly and gently, you'll hold your technique and with all that headroom, the guitar sounds huge. Now the same would happen with the voice. If if Gus took me down a minor third, it would I would be forced to sing it softer, and more in a in a sort of like um, speaking, you know, right. sort of like my speaking voice. So I never have to remember what my voice is. You know, it's in, in creating your voice. It's like, well, what's the closest to your speaking range? And it's like, you know. I just learned like, wow, if I sing it that softly, when the, with all that headroom, uh, once you employ outboard gear to it, like compressors and stuff like that, it becomes huge and you hear, your voice becomes an instrument. You hear the res your resonating chamber and sort of the, the grit of your voice more, the husk of your voice more. Um, and subsequently through that 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 uh, experience it was very awkward for me to come in and change my keys and take them down a minor third um not only for playing the guitar but also singing but it there again urgent necessity this is happening there's no take backs i've got to do this and i've got to do it right um because everybody is playing and we did one or two takes of each song and chose the best out of one or two um, so, uh, you know, with no auto tuning on the voice or anything like that, you know, or, or yeah. any kind of editing or corrections. Um, so you had to just have that urgent necessity and better, better be good, you know? Yeah. I, and imagine even like with how, how you, the performance was like an auto tuned bit or, a, um, I can't, the, the program that slightly p fixes pitch would like would be way more noticeable in a, in a setting like that and wouldn't serve it as well. Um, that's, that's because just the, and the, there's only a few tracks out, but they're so there's, they resonate so emotionally deep. Um, I was thinking the song about songs, is there a song that you found? Oh man, too many to mention. <laughs> and you know, there's a reason why 
it's it's so vague in 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 making that statement and it's like i kind of don't want to reveal the magic trick of it yeah. you know what i mean yeah but um that song the, the spaciousness of it and the vagueness of of the um um what you jigger um the vagueness of, of of what i'm saying allows people to to inform their own decisions about what songs have have saved their life and what songs are, are important to them and i made a um i made a, a a great concerted effort not to put any kind of ideas into people's heads and it, it was a good decision to make you know because yeah. everybody you know has those songs you know that and i've been approached so many times about that particular song about how it helped them through a divorce or the death of a loved one um or the birth of their child you know what i mean and yeah. that's you know that's the that's the power of, of what i was talking about before too with the with the lyrics is you know diving down and getting those stanzas and, and thinking of, of diving into a cave of of gems doing it poetically and doing leaving lots of space for people to dream that and that's the reason why i also put a lot of instrumental sections in my songs and play them at slow tempos so that there's an immense amount of space um because i believe that that's that's where the dreams happen in between the notes mm, you know yeah that's that's really profound like even uh so i went to um school for music therapy and i i did a, i got certified in uh, nmt which is neurologic music therapy and like there's this whole like the concept of the five to one like that resolve that the form being resolved causes comfort in the brain right the brain likes to like predict what's about to happen there's like a dopamine spike part of why music's so important to people and like but also put it in a different context, like if you put a message on top of that, your brain's already figured out where the movement's going to go. So what's on top is being heard. And to put it in the way where you have space to think about what's being heard and and let it resonate and let it hit. You, I'd, I've never thought about like kind of analyzing that until right now of how well – uh, this rec this new record of yours is doing that with um, with the statements being said, and like the and, and I, that's a beautiful concept that the dreams are in between. That's really cool. Yeah, and there 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 you know there there should be lulls and there should be peaks. Um, and I also think of those spaces like in between where a verse starts or a chorus starts or, or an instrumental part ends and you add a bar or whatever is punctuation. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're telling, yeah. if you're telling a story, you need to punctuate the story. Right. Right. Um, and so I think that you can do the same thing with, with space and music, you know? Right. Like, uh, Victor Wooten's got this bit. If there's a if there's no rest, you know, every even in life you need rest. We go to bed every night, you know. Yeah. And if not, the the day that happened before doesn't really seem like a, you don't remember much from it. Yeah. Um, wow. Awesome, Xander. Thank you so much for for sitting and chatting with me. I really appreciate this. Um, I know you told me you have a you have a video coming out and a new single that's going to drop. 
Yeah, um, I you know I just made the video for Song About Songs, and there's a video uh, for My Dear Blue that's that's out. Um, and uh, I also did a um, rework the solo version of of uh, the, a song that I used to really enjoy playing with Joe Strummer called Straight to Hell. Those videos are all out on YouTube. <laughs> I'm currently <coughs> making a um, a video for a, a song I wrote called I Have Loved the Story of My Life. Um, that's going to be out on the 17th of November, and the single's going to be released on the 17th of November. Um, I don't want to give away what the premise is, but it's, it's going to be incredibly epic. Um, and, uh, you know... Um, uh, after that, I'll probably release one more single, and and in um, in February, my entire album is going to be be dropping. And we're making currently making vinyl, um, a, a gatefold vinyl for it, and the artwork is beautiful. There's liner notes by by Chris Morris, who's a a Grammy award winning uh, you know um, liner note guy and uh, journalist for many publications that you've probably read his reviews and stuff like that and artwork uh by my friend aj nesselrod who uh i had uh do some charcoal sketches of me and some oil paintings and stuff like that um and all the lyrics for every song will be you know on the the uh, the um the sleeve so that people can read along with that and read the credits and the special thanks I wanted to do it in a way where where it was like when we remember as as kids like buying those records and you'd listen to the you'd put the record on the turntable and you'd look at the artwork and the special thanks and the you know the individual credits for the musicians and read the liner notes and you know um so that for me it was important to not just have it released digitally but have something that you could hold in your hand um that reflects what the music is so i took great care to to make to design the album in that way that that um we remember that that those precious moments of of, of bringing those albums home and how they how impactful they were to to our lives um because i think that's something that's lost in the whole streaming world definitely and you know, I, I took great care in sequence in the album so that it uh, is a long play experience in a side one and side two. Um, it makes sense um, as a as a story, as an overall story. Right, right, and that's that. It is it is sad that the kind of a the the how music's consumed now is so single based and so like digital digital based. Not that there's any problem like a lot of these programs are fantastic what i'm recording this with right now is amazing uh, you know like so not to take away from these great advancements and these positive aspects of it but there's definitely to uh, like an overall narrative to an album like that it is a shame that it's not really appreciated like that anymore so i think that's a fantastic that you would you would preserve it like that and present it like that um, well, you know, as a, as a veteran musician, it's like I've been making uh, records for close to almost 40 years, um, and I've seen it transition from, you know, cassettes and vinyl into CDs and 
you know, then streaming and blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, if you don't, if you want longevity in, in, in anything, you have to, to, to roll with the changes. I right. mean, if you're like going to be a silent film actor and, and, you know, transition into the talkies or whatever, you have to be prepared to, to do that. So, you know, having the ability to pivot in the face of, of advancement, you know, um, and, uh, you know, sort of get into the flow of, of however music is being marketed. Yes, I'm releasing singles and videos and releasing things streaming at this point and working the social uh, media um, in the way that I'm, I'm sort of being guided to do because that's how people market their music. And the great thing about it is, is that it's now fallen into to the hands of, of the artists yeah. So you can develop a knowledge for that and get good at all those things. It's all in your hands. You can be responsible for all your successes and all your failures and not point a finger at some, you know, evil record company or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Um, that being said, you know, it's just um, it is the way it is. So again there's an urgent necessity yeah yeah <laughs> this is happening there are no take backs this is the way music is being marketed now so you might as well you know do it beautiful and well i started this this whole this whole podcast to like seek insight and inspiration and this convert i'm like all jittery this has been i'm all like i've had my cup of coffee of inspiration and like uh, this is so Xander this has been fantastic I really really appreciate it oh thank you so much you know thanks for having me and it's like this is a very unique uh style of interview of you generally people are just asking me about my my history but not like getting into the masochistic you know process of of what I do you know what I mean and yeah. uh, uh you know I hope that your students listen and I, I i hope to inspire people to do the best that they possibly can to make the the best and most emotional impactful music that they can make because really it's like it's the most powerful art form there is nobody ever says wow that painting really helped me through a hard time or that book helped me through a hard time it's always about the music yeah there's something about that art form that is so incredibly powerful and i have so much reverence for it um and i think that that it that anybody who um does it should have reverence and and take care you know with yeah. it because it is it is really something that is powerful and, and to be revered i agree no definitely and it's i it's interesting because it, if like all the other art forms and this is the kind of schooling I learned, like the music just it just the sound sonic approach of music makes your brain work in a different way. And it, it, yeah. part of that is that emotion, those uh, campus thing, like there's a lot of things going on and like there's just something there's just something like out out of looking at how your brain reacts to it, the the process itself, there's just something to it. Um but yeah, no, that's so cool. This has been so cool. Uh, Perfect. All right, man. Well, exciting. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks, Dave. All right. Well, thanks, Andrew. You have a good one, and I'll talk to you soon.
Okay, buddy. All right. Later. Bye.